Greetings and welcome to Bombadil's Porch. I'm Nate Larmore, together with Caleb Klontz and Chris Martin. We are three Christian dudes. I just wanted to say that. Dudes. Three Christian dudes, dads, uh, recovering the lost art of sitting on the front porch together to build some community, some camaraderie. On today's episode of The Porch, we are going to be focusing, as always, on God's Word. Chris is going to be sharing a devotional thought about the centrality of the resurrection. I'm going to be talking about God's favorite kind of music. And Caleb, you're going to be talking about a book on dragons, dragons and dragon slayers by That's Tim right. Chester. Is <laughs> That's that right. right. Dragon slayers, one word. Yes. All right. I have a dragon that Caleb gave me on my shelf. He does. It's right above. I might talk Where about might right it above be? Nate's head. Oh. Yeah. Turn around here. Yeah, I, yeah. I can't see it, but I'll look later. I'm going to bang the mic yeah. here. All right. Well, guys, uh, as always, it's a pleasure, a pleasure and a privilege to be here. Uh, Chris, looking forward to hearing this devotional thought on the centrality of the resurrection. Yeah. And there's absolutely nothing novel uh, about this. And yet that's part of what I wanted to, to talk about with you guys as, as fathers, uh, as men, uh, when this podcast goes live, it should be Tuesday of Easter week. Uh, and it's amazing that that's come already. That's oh, yeah. yeah. The Sunday's yeah. Palm Sunday. Uh, we'll be building up to, uh, Easter the following Sunday. And, uh, yeah, just even in my, my own heart, as I've been beginning to prepare for, for Easter. Also, we've been talking about uh, good Friday around here and preparing for that service and, uh, enjoying, the retelling of that story, that true story of, of the work of Christ. Um, it, it just, once again, is brought up to my mind, the contrast there is not only in our secular culture, but even in many ways in the church culture between Christmas and Easter. And, and there just seems to be a, a greater sense of anticipation, a greater sense of enthusiasm, of excitement surrounding the advent of Christ. Hmm than the actual atoning work and victorious resurrection of Christ. Uh, looking at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, I was reminded, again, that famous passage about the, the centrality of the resurrection. Uh, throughout church history, um, Christians have sought to summarize truth in, in specific pithy ways, uh, often called creeds, that, that creedal structure. And a number of those even appear in the, the pages of the New Testament itself. And 1 Corinthians 15 has one of those. Uh, in, in verse 3 of chapter 15, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. Like this was, this was the number one thing. That which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Uh, almost all the creeds that would come after that would emphasize the virgin birth of Christ as well, uh, which is which is a real critical doctrine. But it's interesting that that's not part of of Paul's creed here. Like he skipped Christmas. <laughs> Christmas didn't make the creed, uh, but the resurrection did, right? Uh, and, and I think sometimes we make a big deal of the birth of Jesus up through his death. And then we sometimes remember to mention that he rose from the dead. <laughs> sometimes mm. we don't. Uh, it's that sort of that... Oh yeah, that's by the way, he, he did rise from the dead, which is pretty cool. And we're going to rise someday. But the main thing was that, you know, he came, he was born and he died for sins. And yet, uh, that, that's not historically accurate to the emphasis the New Testament places on the resurrection. The resurrection is central 
to the Christian truth claim. Uh, because without the resurrection, as Paul says, uh, we are of all men most to be pitied. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christianity is a pathetic religion of a dead man without without the resurrection. And so, no, the resurrection is not what accomplished salvation for us. It was the atoning work of Jesus Christ by his absorbing of the wrath of God on the cross. And when Jesus said, it is finished, atonement was made. However, like anybody can say it is finished. Like those words can come out of everybody's mouth. Uh, but not everybody can then be vindicated by the Father by coming back from the dead. <laughs> and that's what makes the Christian truth claim unique is that we're saying it, it was not just a historical reality that somebody uh, suffered to be a good example for us um, or just demonstrated incredible compassion in giving himself for others. We're saying, no, a, a guy came back from the dead. Mm. He, he said, I'm going to go face all the wrath of God one-on-one and then I'm going to kick death's butt mm-hmm. and come back. And he did. And you know, I'm being too crass um, no, <laughs> by, no. by putting those words into Christ's mouth. Uh, but that, that was the reality. And I love later in the chapter, 1 Corinthians 15 goes on to then explain, again, the centrality of the resurrection, why it's so important, what the consequences are theologically and, and even just uh, from a standpoint of, of the value of, of our lives with or without the resurrection. But in, in verse 20... He, he says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. And now we're using the sleep language because, again, when Christians die, we, we don't actually die. We go from life to life. And so um, this is the first fruits of those who are asleep and then reawaken. Of verse 21, for since by a man de- came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. As we've been going through Romans with our youth, uh, the the theme of the first Adam and second Adam is very strong there. And so I think that made this language jump out to me more this year in reading through this passage. Uh, The incredible way in which God worked history so that Christ is that perfect counterpoint to the failure of the first Adam. Mm. And we talk about that often at the point of temptation, Christ succeeds where Adam failed. And then uh, at the point of sin, you know, Adam, Adam failed and joined his bride in sin. Christ died for his bride uh, and was her substitute. That's interesting. Right. That's what Adam should have done. You know, when God came to the garden, Eve said, I ate the fruit, Adam, uh, your wife is is now in sin. What are you going to do? Adam should have said, to then take me, right? That That is what the first Adam should have done. Uh, and that is what the second Adam did. But the other the other aspect where they, they diverge is then the first Adam went back to the dust from which he came, right? And the second right. Adam returned from the dust in glorious resurrection. And when we in Christ are able to be transferred from the race of Adam to the race of Christ, then the victory of the resurrection becomes our victory as well. And you know what, what a wonderful truth that is that we remember and we celebrate every year. But I think because we remember it every year, we celebrate it every year, and there isn't the whole cultural um, sentimental sparkle around Easter like there is around Christmas. Right. We don't put lights around town everywhere, and we do these dumb hokey things instead. 
right? You don't make, they, at least they have like Hallmark movies around Christmas where everybody's feeling warm and fuzzy and family-ish. <laughs> and we're like, eat chocolate, find plastic eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, Dickens didn't write a novel stuff. about Easter, did he? Right, uh, exactly. Yes. Uh, so I just kind of <laughs> want to talk about, uh, since that resurrection is is this glorious conclusion, uh, it is the high point of the church calendar. Uh, the, the high point of the church calendar is not Christmas. It's not like, yay, the Messiah showed up. It's no, the Messiah conquered, right? That That's what, uh, as Christians, our lives in a ritualistic, uh, celebratory way should be focused on is that that event. Uh, how do we how do we build enthusiasm in our families? How do we keep it fresh and exciting, uh, engaging for our families? Is there, is, would it be a, a, a goal? And should we move towards uh, it even being the case that people are more excited in the Christian faith about Easter coming up than they are even about Christmas coming up. And, and, uh, yeah, is that just, eh, you know, that's not the cultural context we live in. Um, or is it like, you know, this would be a fun undertaking as men for our families and even thinking larger on our church to say, let's make Easter genuinely the, the point that people in the year that people can't look forward to enough. Hmm. Uh, you're, you've got a very, excited audience member in in my wife anita she totally agrees uh Ooh, re- resurrection on here resurrection day <laughs> uh let me see what i can do uh, yeah. resurrection day is is absolutely her favorite uh day of the year and uh awesome. and i'm i'm a christmas fan but who isn't right yeah this is uh, not denigrating christmas no, i'm no, glad jesus all. came <laughs> but that's a good thing but you're spot on about the the centrality of the resurrection and and whenever jesus made bold statements he often followed it with the miraculous uh, what comes to mind is when he forgave a man his, his sins and knew full well he was being judged by those hypocritical religious leaders. And then to demonstrate that he had the power to forgive the sin, he healed the man. Yes. Um, in this case, the work is finished. He calls out from the cross and he, and he willingly gave up his life and that proved that he had every right and all authority to claim it is finished. The work is finished. He rose again. Um, and so I think, I think you're spot on about the power of it. And, uh, and I'm kind of excited to, how can we as dads, uh, and we as members of church, of church here, um, in our community, how can, how can we bring some emphasis back to the, bring more emphasis back to this and excitement to this? I do think you're right. There is some hokiness that the <laughs> world, not the necessarily the church, yeah. but the world has injected hmm. in. Um, you know, bright colors and, and if you live back East, big hats and, oh yeah, I forgot about um, the hats, bunnies and, and eggs and, and, and actually, you know what it feels like? It feels like a little kid's holiday from the world's perspective. It really does. <laughs> that's true. And Christmas, it, it makes us all feel like a kid, but it's for all ages. And maybe that's, that's why. Mm. But I, I think, boy, what a, if starting with Palm Sunday, maybe, maybe, you know, in Christmas we do Advent, uh, to just kind of help. Our family maintain focus mm-hmm. through December. Uh, we've got some some Advent books that help us, and it's just really become it replaces mm. our our family devotions on a nightly basis. And maybe there's some things we can do specific to Resurrection Day as Lent. well. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, uh, you know, starting with Palm Sunday, just just trying to emphasize because that's that's yeah. what we're as as leaders. Uh, that's what leaders do. Leaders shift culture. Mm-hmm. And in our own families, there is a culture and we, we've got some influence on that. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have anything you've done at the, at the Klontz household. Um, 
I mean, I don't know. I was thinking more about just kind of Italy and other cultures and how, mm. you know, how celebrations happen. Um, I, I think being here at um, at Valley Bible Church, first time that I've ever that I that I know of gone to like a Good Friday service, for example, and and how much I appreciate that because that really sets the weekend apart. You know, because we have we have that. Um, you know, um, I know. Ben in the past at times has recommended, you know, people maybe even fast on Saturday, for example, mm. or, or you know, just try and take Saturday as a day. And I've done that, um, kind of take Saturday as a more solemn day and just really thinking about all that Christ has done for us. And, you know, I, I you know, so that's kind of how the Good Friday service ends is kind of like it's intended to be like go out quietly. I know sometimes we have trouble getting people to go out <laughs> to go out quietly and leave. And I'm guessing making, this year is going to be really hard. They're making their dinner plans out in the foyers. <laughs> dinner plans or they're doing other stuff. I'm just or, talking. Uh, yeah. Um, whatever. Yeah. Visiting out there. Yeah. Um, but, um, but anyway, that, and, and so I appreciate that. Uh, it's similar in Italy, you know, I mean, the, the whole weekend is, I mean, Easter is set apart as a time to look forward to. And that's largely because of the Catholic tradition. Um, it's because things like, you know, Easter Sunday you have off, but you also have Easter Monday off, you know, I mean, and really everybody's off of work from, from Thursday on. Really? Right. So you're, there's no stores open Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. You know, you're preparing all your stuff from before. Uh, everybody gets together, you know, big meal on, on, on Easter Sunday. You're, it's time with the family. And then you do, you know, Monday is like hanging out with your friends afterward. Hmm. They have a saying, Pasqua con i suoi, no i tuoi. Pasqua, Pasqua con i tuoi, uh, Pasquetta con chi vuoi. Which means uh, like Easter with um, yours, your family. Hmm. But uh, the day after, which is Pasquetta, the like little Easter, um, Easter Monday, with with whomever you want. So mm. it's like you hang with your friends the day after, but you know you're with family on the day of, and and there's big eggs, big chocolate eggs that you know our my kids miss. There's certain pastries that are only available or are primarily available in Italy during that time and during Easter season. And there's just that's part of the culture, and I think we don't really have that. Ours is, again, it's Easter egg drops and go see the Easter bunny mm -hmm. and Man, wear spring colors. You got me stoked with the chocolate and pastries, by well, the and way. There's prizes in these big chocolate eggs, you know. For so, those of you listening, nice. Caleb is showing with his hands. I, I mean, we're talking oh, volleyball or basketball-sized eggs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> big, <it>. big eggs. <laughs> Maybe these are some of the, just the little trinket things we can do to build some enthusiasm. Honestly, uh, those, I mean, it is those, those things. Because um, this is how you, you build that out in, in, into the real world, right? Uh, it's great to preach on, on the resurrection. It's great to take a good Friday service to join together to remember these things. But especially for kids and even big kids, right? What is it that tends to make, uh, I think, the Christmas season have a deeper impact on people? It is all, it is the sights, it is the smells, mm -hmm. it's, it's the atmosphere that's built around these truths because that all has a way of saying, yeah, we actually really do take this seriously. Mm -hmm. We actually really do mean these things. There is something special going on here. Uh, as opposed to, you know, you go to school and you get your textbook and there's really important information in there. And then you turn the page, right. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and there's more imp important information. But if you stop the class and said, okay, you know, we're going to go on this field trip to this, that, oh, this is actually impactful now. Uh, and I think that's what I've been uh, 
thinking on this this week is what are some of those things that we can do as a family and as a church to to underscore that we've tried to do a few very simple things um one tradition we have i think it may even mentioned on the porch before is we keep our christmas tree uh and then when we get to uh, a week or two before easter uh, we'll limit shave it down and then we'll make a cross out of uh out of the east, or out of the Christmas tree, and it's it's a way of trying Ooh. to connect those two holidays together. And we display that in mm. our house over the Easter season, well, that's interesting. and so they can more uh, just just visually say, okay, Christmas is leading to this. This is what this was for. I I, I, I have mine sitting out back, and I haven't limbed it and done that. Okay, my, yeah, so my we're ready. Was, we're so, ready. So I don't know how. Yeah. you know. Ooh. Have so, you done yours yet, Chris? Then, no, we haven't. Okay. We'll probably do it um, over this weekend as we get ready for for Easter. I have um, two artificial oh. trees, so I'm not sure what I'm going to do. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to try. Just take the poles. <laughs> and, uh, well, yeah, well, they're probably the point, not there. The, <laughs> the point is not that this is what everybody should be doing, but that was one little thing we did. That's, but it it has become, I think, meaningful for our our family and something that is an is a looked forward to part of the year. Hmm. And what else, you know, what else can can we do? And yeah, and if nothing else, that this just pr- prompts some thinking among us and and yeah. our and our listeners that let's let's make Easter special so that when when our families here Easter week is coming, they're like, yes, Jesus rose from the dead. You yes. know, not just yes, chocolate eggs. You know, but yeah. the cho- if the chocolate eggs helps them. Uh, to tangibly taste the goodness of the theology of the gospel, then bring on the chocolate eggs. Well, and that's, you know, I think that's something that, you know, I've I've grappled with and I've come out the other side going, you know, I think Christians need to be more willing to embrace some of those things because they're not all just pagan, pagan things. So we need to do a little, little more <laughs> oh, homework. No, I'm holding myself back. I used to, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, know, I, on this I stuff. know, I need you to talk more about it. Because honestly, you know, I, I used to, uh, you know, in my youthful zeal, some... 20 years ago <laughs> or something. So, but, uh, but I used to send out an email to some of my friends that was, you know, hope you all enjoy the bunnies, the eggs and the merry feast of Ishtar. Like that was, the, that was the subject line every, yes. every week, yes. right? Like nice. every year was, you know, nice. it was my little rant against, uh, against all of these, you know, pagan symbols that we, these uh, fertility that we symbols fact check. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but you know, Chris has helped me fact check some of that. Um, but even in general, just my attitude towards some of that, and maybe that happens with age, we mellow a little bit in some areas where we go, ah. but I, I think we have taken those things out of Easter largely. We don't have the same traditions and the same, you know, and I think we need to build those in. I think <laughs> we need what to build. Do we have, well, we don't. Well, that uh, looks fun. Get rid of it. What are you going to do instead? Be spiritual. That's right. Well, yeah. Well, it's we like, forget that you know, this is a time of, yeah. of feasting. I mean, even in celebration in other traditions where Lent is celebrated, yeah. and now is you know Easter morning is the you know eat an egg because it's rich, and you yeah. know there's other things that are you know that if you've the, given up. If the Israelites could be like, hey, remember that night that God didn't kill us? Let's celebrate it. Let's feast. <laughs> then, like, remember that day Jesus rose from the dead? I think we can do something fun too. <laughs> so. I like that about Passover. That was the night God just did not kill us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, you you raise you raise a really important point, Chris, about um, how we can steer the enthusiasm in our own families. We 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 are not just helpless sitting back, our hands not on the tiller, and just letting the the culture or whatever traditions or habits we're just accustomed to carry us where they may. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have influence and, and this is something that's, that really is, it, it connects to the theological importance of the centrality of the resurrection. It does. Yeah. And I think when we get our families 
excited about that, worshiping God over that together with, with real genuine enthusiasm in the season of, of remembering what Christ has done. I mean, I know that's music to my ears and I would mm-hmm. assume music to the ears of God as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, that's good. Uh, let's keep chatting about that because I, I think we can help each other with that. Um, looking at the time here, I'll shift us to our theological concept, and that's me. So, um, yeah. I, Speaking I, of music to the ears of God. Yes. Mm. You see uh, what I did there? I was curious, what is God's favorite kind of music? And um, I, 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 did, I do want to say I, I, I leaned on, I found an article that I thought, had a lot of interesting points and questions, and I'm just going to have some excerpts here. But one of the things I appreciate about the article is the way they set up the whole subject, that God's people do sing. Uh, music in worship is is biblical. Even after escaping from the Egyptians and crossing the Red Sea, the people of Israel sang a song to the Lord. Uh, singing was a part of Israel's formal worship in both the tabernacle and then ultimately in temple worship. The Psalms, of course, are just this amazing, rich testimony that whether it was in joy or sorrow, whether in praise or in trouble, that the faithful will raise their voices in song to God. Hymn singing was practiced by Jesus and his disciples. The Apostle Paul instructed the Colossians in chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. Uh, you know, music and song play a vital role in the life of God's people, even today. Uh, contemporary culture and modern tech, we have all kinds of new possibilities. Uh, if you don't like the music at your church on Sunday, well, um, you got a lot of playlists you can play, for example. I would also say, though, that because of the access of music, we are surrounded with music at all, the, all the time. Television, radio, background music of a video game. When you're in stores, Muzak, whatever the background music that's playing, Apple Playlist, Spotify, you get these, these suggestions from, from your devices. But to that point, yep, a lot of the time that music functions as background rather than as an opportunity for serious listening, uh, much less participation. So uh, and if you think about this too, as, as churchgoers each week, we probably sing on a regular basis much more than our neighbors do who do not go to church. True. Uh, outside the church, there really are few opportunities, at least in North American culture, for people to sing together. Um, so the people of God really do singing is is a is a a part of who we are and what we sing and how we sing have some important uh, issues related to them and i and i thought the article did a good job of raising some of this and we might have different perspectives which is why i wanted to raise this music is such a subjective um topic uh, as we spoke as we interviewed ben last week about some of the challenges and and weight that falls on a music coordinator here at church. I wanted to explore this. So music is a gift of God. Um, of all the musical instruments that may be employed in the praise of God, the human voice has priority. Singing is a ministry that belongs to all the people of God. The church's ministry of song is for the glory of God. And yet church's ministry of song also edifies God's people. The emotional power of music rightly employed is vital 
and it actually aids worship. Uh, sometimes as as a Bible church people or evangelical people, we, <laughs> we, we kind of are ultra cautious of the emotion. And uh, well, it rightly employed, it's an important thing. So uh, question for you all, first of all, those, those points, um, any, any, any different views on that? Any clarifications that come to your minds? Because um, I do want to get into how we as people of God we we do we do need to apply, I think as we receive music as we as we play music it's not like we have control over every song but I can think of a number of Christian songs that I've heard that as I listen to it I think no that that actually does I like the song it sounds awesome right but that does not line up with <laughs> what God's word says to me so there has to be. Uh, uh, I'm not even talking about the style of the music, more the content of the lyrics. But um, first of all, first and foremost, that, that list of things I just I've just rolled through there. I wanted to get you all's reactions to that. Do you do you adhere to that? Do you do you think no? That's I think I think something's different there. What do you think? Check check check. Okay, you're <laughs> yeah, halfway I through mean, the list. That's three out of six. No, yeah, no, the, <laughs> yeah, no. I I would. Uh, I would agree with what he has there, especially in the context as as the article is presenting it of of music in in worship, mm -hmm. uh, and in scripture clearly uh, that's the case. Uh, you have a number of accompaniments described, but it's the the singing, uh, human vocalization, you know, is usually in the context of uh, it's described as a speech act, right? You're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual mm -hmm. songs. And so the, the purpose is not just the communication of a mood through melody and mm -hmm. instrumentation. It is the, the purpose is the communication of truth from one individual to another individual and then to adorn the transfer of that truth in this powerful medium of music uh, in a way that connects with the whole soul in the, the unique way that music does. And so, yeah, I do like the way he spelled it out. Uh, I'm curious, you both are musically inclined. Caleb, I've heard that you have closely hidden your musical talents. What? This not, is rumor. Not, not if you work uh, here. This is this is rumor in the hallways. This is me uh trying to 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 channel the mentalist and just asking casual questions to get to deeper truths. So I've, I've heard I've heard that you've got some hidden talents. I don't um, know about that. We need to explore those sometimes. And Chris, yeah. of course, you're a musician. Uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> well, I, I have a guitar. You play on a weekly basis. So uh, I also works. have a guitar. But <laughs> yes. uh, a musician that does not make me. <laughs> yes. It, it I just love hangs music. on the wall. <laughs> I love music. I, yeah. But there's a person who has, I think, a specific calling and a gifting as mm -hmm. a musician. And I, I don't count myself in that number. <laughs> uh, one of the things that um, came to mind on this, I actually went and Googled, uh, and, and you never know what's going to come back. I'm always <coughs> ultra curious what Google is going to send back to me. So I Googled a couple di uh, variations on this. Um, bad theology hymns, bad theology Christian songs. And it was oh, amazing nice. the stuff that mm. came back. Now, I, what I found, and I, and I was a little disappointed because I was hoping to find some good articles uh, that that walked through some some songs and, and kind of fairly said the reason that you know this song you probably ought to not listen to it as such. What I found, at least in the the first page of results, 
was a lot of like musical theory criticism. You know, mm. this one does, lacks a certain level of musicality or this one's hard to sing. And there's some validity to that. Sure. But what came to mind is there's some song. The uh, reason I was doing that search is there are, I have found myself, I don't know about you guys, but you might find, and I, I think I was mocked briefly on one of the shows that I listened to entire albums. I think that was a Martin mock. I can't remember. Really? <laughs> maybe it was, oh, a, was it a mock or was it like maybe, more of a, maybe it was like an expression just, of amazement. Does anyone listen to full albums anymore? Right, right. Yeah. I think that was it. That's no, fair. It's, it's a good thing. Um, but uh, I, there are a few albums that have been really significant uh, to me personally, encouraging, convicting, and but what I found interestingly enough is that as you listen to a song over and over again, even a song that that it in in some way I feel shapes how you relate to God in worship, hmm. and and that and in a way I think that's powerful. But it also made me gave me a sense of caution that God, I want to relate. I want to worship to you and relate to you in the way that you want me to, not the way that a song has kind of shaped me in. So it's just kind of, if anything, it made me a little more cautious and maybe I was overthinking mm -hmm. it, but um, you know, there's some songs I think that are, are, can be very blatantly wrong in terms of describing God or describing what God's work of salvation for us. In fact, there's some pop songs I've read, CCM Christian contemporary music that I, I come to mind and I don't want to make this just a, a list of songs we hate or something or songs sure. Nate hates, but I think <laughs> of them and I'm like, actually having heard the song, I'm like, this song rocks, but I'm pretty sure that this was like a love song that someone couldn't get and they just changed like <laughs> the name uh, instead of girl, they added Jesus or, or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. And the so infamous that, Jesus is my boyfriend song. Yes, yeah. that's right. That's yeah. right. Um, and then of course, then there's some songs by Christian bands that were intentionally written just to be fun and harmless. And then, you know, that's fine. Yeah. But uh, in terms of choosing music for Christian worship, I want to get your thoughts on what kind of a careful process this ought to be and, and guided primarily by, by, doctrinal or theological considerations. And I don't think that's geeky. I think that's just a way that we, we can vet and, and, and mm -hmm. understand whether this is something that I ought to be allowing into my mind, into my soul, and especially music that's catchy. It really sticks and, and holds and plays again and again in your, your head. So when did, am I, am I, am I out to lunch on this or do you, I mean, can you guys relate on some level? No, definitely not out to lunch. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm not saying a lot because I don't want to get on a rant. <laughs> oh, rant. But that's, that's, why we a, that's why we did a podcast. We've got plenty of time. I know. I know. This rant, is your, rant, this is a soapbox yeah, moment. Yeah. No, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, man, listen to Christian mainstream uh, radio. I mean, any any Christian radio station, really. And man, I, 90 to 95% of it is just bad theology. Weak theology at best, but a lot of it's bad theology. And that's sad, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I think it was, uh, um, oh, what's his, Cooper, what's his first name? Oh, the yeah. for stuff. Um, John? John Cooper, I believe, from uh, from Skillet, uh, who, uh, you know, who uh, a little while when, ago kind of came out. And when Skillet has to call you out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> interesting you know, times and, we live And I've in. seen some tremendous growth and maturing in, in him from, you know, from the first days when I saw him, you know, opening up, you know, for a concert, I think here at, at Harvest, uh, which is now one just right up the road here, but uh, mm -hmm. going to some concerts there. I think I saw Skillet there 
uh, their first album. Anyway, um, but uh, but man, they've they've grown and matured in a lot of ways too. And I know they come out of a little bit more charismatic background um, than uh, than we have as a as a as a Bible church. But um, <laughs> but uh, he uh, yeah he called out uh, said man. First of all, he was saying well, you should not be getting your theology from. From from musicians, basically, yeah. but but the the bigger problem is, is that that we need Christian musicians and Christian artists, people who are making music that has solid theology, and, and man, that's so often not the case. It's let's just elicit an emotional response. I mean, my knee jerk reaction to your list there is you know that last one where the emotional emotional power of music rightly employed. Now I know that's the the the. The critical part there, <laughs> yes, uh, very, the very, very critical, <laughs> is a vital and moving aid to worship. But so many songs are designed to create us to, oh, make us feel a certain way. Yeah, it doesn't matter how we feel as uh, as uh, Alistair, Alistair Beck. No, who was that? Oh, Alistair Beck. I think it was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel? It's not how you feel. <laughs> it's what you know. You know. So, <laughs> Give well, me something of vanity. And we've all so. probably sat in a service or at a camp. I hope he never listens to this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Let's hope. It was uh, awesome. He uh, does it much better. We, we've all sat maybe in a service or at a campfire <laughs> setting or something like that where there's a uh, an altar call of sorts. And mm -hmm. then just somewhere out of the background, this keyboard starts playing and, and, <laughs> and, you know, I don't want to discount it. I surrender all, or, or, you know, just there's certain mm -hmm. songs that, that, um, actually, you know, what comes to mind, uh, I grew up, part of my growing up was in Guam and, uh, the school that I was able to go to was a private school, I, I think cause ministry kids got a massive discount or something, but it was with a rival church, which sounds terrible oh, to say. Boy. Right. But I think they viewed, I, I was never referred to as Nathan. It was always brother Larmore's boy, you know, from that other <laughs> church. Um, hopefully it was not mean spirited, but I do recall they would have, they would have these evangelistic crusades from time to time. And I don't want to, I do not want to diminish that in any way. I mean, the, uh, sometimes God works that way, mm -hmm. but what, what comes to mind is they would fly in these folks, uh, typically from the American Southeast somewhere. And, uh, and it might be, uh, an evangelist and, mm -hmm. and his musical ensemble mm -hmm. and a few others. And there was a certain style mm -hmm. and it was, you know, it's probably yep. indicative of that part of the country, uh, but a certain style, the service would be a certain way. There was a, a, an altar call. And I do, I remember this one time I, and, and it wasn't like the man was wrong, but brother, brother Brubaker, his name was, had delivered the gospel message and everyone, and we were in that time where everyone was asked to bow your heads and close your eyes. And there was an altar call. Mm -hmm. And I was peeking a little bit, like we all do. Uh, don't judge me. Uh, but I was peeking a little bit. And, and right at that time, the the person over on the organ started to play. And I remember Brother Brubaker, like, taking two fast steps over. And it wasn't to stop playing. He had this, this he had his hand up, kind of bringing the volume down. And then, and then as she, as she kept playing, it was, he, he raised his hand. It was like, bring the levels up. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and actually what it reminds me of is in the Truman show, yes. uh, <laughs> yes. Ed Harris is up in the booth yes. and he's like bringing the music up. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I, I that the, the guy doing that was not a manipulator. I mean, he, he had delivered the gospel message, but, 
But uh, my goodness, do well, you want people to come forward because the volume of the music was, was right? Was he just not a malicious manipulator? <laughs> yes, I mean, yes, there you go. Because <laughs> that is exactly what's going on there. <laughs> yeah, and that, that yeah. has, you know, it really was largely. I mean, that's part of, we've talked about some of this. Um, you know, a lot of evangelistic crusades and things didn't, they were intended to, to create a, you know, a, an emotional response. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. where we have, you know, a lot of... It's a lot of the problems I think, in, especially in America's uh, today, is that we've got a lot of people that go, "Oh yeah, I prayed a prayer, or I yeah. walked down yeah. an aisle, or you know, I was baptized," and that does not save you. That's right. Uh, prayer doesn't save you. There's no magical incantation, and so mm -hmm. you go preach a message that's going to convict people that they're going to go to hell and scare them, and then you know, uh, now culture has changed. Now everybody goes hell, nah, whatever. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> it also taught a generation that the point of music was to bring you to a place of, of spiritual breakthrough or mm. experiential mm. change. Because, uh, yeah, the, the evangelistic movement, the, uh, the revival movement in America was all about conversionism, right? You got to get people to the front. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and so the, the, the cadence of the preaching, um, the, the placement and, and instrumentation and, and music song selection, all of that was designed to try to slowly crescendo the human emotions to a breaking point timed perfectly, you know, for the altar call or the offering, depending on, you know, where, <laughs> where you were. <laughs> yeah, uh, but right. that, that's, that, that's the goal. The and everybody said, or the third offering. Oh. <laughs> and then, well, if that's the music God's using to save people, then that's the music we should yeah. be singing into our church. And so all of a sudden the music we started focusing on was not about how do we speak truth to one another mm. in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as a sign that we are filled with the spirit. It is how do we move people emotionally to this this experience, this this uh, you know transcendent ethereal experience that uh, we either equate with getting saved, or that's what the Holy Spirit feels like when He's moving, uh, or that's what you're supposed to feel like if uh, you know you're you're actually uh, serious about Jesus and love Jesus. Um, and so that became then synonymous, I think, in a lot of contemporary evangelical culture with worship is the feeling you get yeah. when you've been brought to uh, this emotional tipping point. And there's another author who described this using language I can't mm -hmm. repeat on on uh, the porch. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that that has become an, an, an expectation for a lot of people. And so, the, you know, when I look at, you know, an outline like this, uh, this is so critical for our church to say, what is the point? Is mm -hmm. it evangelistic? No. Does God often use music to reach people? Sure. But the point in corporate singing is for Christians to speak truth to Christians. Like that's right. explicitly mm -hmm. the point in, in the New Testament uh, is to do that. Uh, and so, yes, that does mean that the voice has priority. And if you can't hear what's being said because the electric guitar is up so loud, um, you did something wrong. Right. right. Uh, and uh, there's also supposed to, needs to be a diversity, you know, Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, I think speaks not only of a diversity of styles, but even just taking it on the, on the surface, it's a, that's a chronological slice, mm. right? Psalms would be actual biblical language, primarily coming from the Psalter. Hymns would be short, pithy summaries of Christian doctrine that have been tested by time. Spiritual songs would be contemporary expressions of that particular believing, you know, contemporary generation's heart of worship towards God. Right. And so what, when church cumulatively over time is singing together, it ought to be traveling over time. 
Mm-hmm. And that's a way of connecting us not only laterally to each other today, but it's a way of connecting us to the whole chain of redemptive history, mm. going all the way back to scripture itself. It's a way of preventing the generational snobbery of, I don't like the hymns because they sound funny. Well, they sound funny because you didn't grow up singing them. Right. 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 They, they sound funny because you didn't, you weren't taught to love the truth that your forebears gave you. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that you talk to people, I just you know, talk to somebody who grew up on the hymns. I just love the hymns. Yeah. And so did my grandparents and so did their grandparents, right? Because you you were taught, no, this is this is a part of our heritage. And, no, and then not, it works all the way around too. And it's not usually fine too. A time can be a wonderful filter. Yes. Right? Not, what, not all the hymns were good. What, and that's why when you open a hymn book and mm-hmm. it, you, you, you leave through it, you're like, no, there's probably about 60 in here that are the hits, right? When I say the hits, the classics, there's others right. that, 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 that have not stood the test of time. Well, I have two shelves of hymnals up on my shelf there that I've been here from my grandmother. That. I have another shelf and a half at home. <laughs> um, and so I have, I think, over 40 unique hymnals. Mm-hmm. And the overlap between them is extensive, mm-hmm. right? Lots of different denominational backgrounds, several different generations that are reflected. And then, like I said, all unique hymnals in different publishers, uh, but a tremendous amount of overlap because like you mentioned, that filtering effect, there, there is a fairly defined corpus of time-tested truth that the church mm-hmm. has received. And, yeah. and that's a blessing. Talking about the Psalter, I was at a concert. I think since we've moved, yeah, yeah, probably since we've moved to Washington, moved back to Washington, was at a concert and Chris Tomlin was taking questions from the audience that people were texting in or nice. however it is they were doing it. One of the questions was, uh, what car do you drive? And I was thrilled to hear it was a Ford F-150. <laughs> Way to go for the <laughs> F-1 owners out there. Uh, but more, another question he got was about his process uh, and how he writes music. And I, I loved his answer. His answer was, when I get to heaven, David's going to come over and deal with me on the sin of plagiarism. And he just said, I, the, 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 the music I write, generally speaking, comes from my Bible reading. And uh, whether you like Chris Tomlin or not, mm-hmm. uh, whether you like his fun songs or not, I just thought, what a great what a great place to begin for certain kinds of music writing. Um, well, he is the most sung musician in the world. It's incredible, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Evan because Burns, secular artists aren't sung. Evan Burns, our, our, to. our yeah. instructor at the Knicks class a couple weeks ago, I think it was- They're sung he- in my house, but- well, well, what was that, Kaylin? Good job. My house uses a lot of stuff. <laughs> okay, that's true. Everybody likes to sing in my yeah. house, so we got a lot of music going on. People singing songs. I think it was Evan Burns, the missionary at large, right? He's yes. in I don't know how many countries dun, he's in. Dun, dun, but dun, I think dun, it was dun, he, he who talked about the go, missionaries go to Africa, and they're they're talking to um, local believers, right. and, and they introduce music, and they're like, no, 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 we want to sing our music, and it, it's a Chris Tomlin song. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, and he, speaking of Dr. Burns, he wrote a book called Missionary uh, Theologian, right? Mm -hmm. To address an issue in missiology where you have people that are all hyped up and enthusiastic about reaching the lost and shallow as a birdbath theologically. And so we fling them to the other most parts of the earth and say, go introduce them to the gospel for the first time. Mm -hmm. And that just creates a train wreck. Mm -hmm. Uh, That same thing happens in music. We take the the most immature youth pastor who just got saved and knows four chords on a guitar, and we stick him on the front of a stage in front of thousands of people and say, emote for Jesus, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah, sometimes bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need more musician theologians. And one of the things that's fascinating when you read uh, you know, who's writing all these hymns in our hymn books, a lot of them were doctors of the church. A lot of them were 
on staff at, at seminaries and theological schools. These were people that were hired and paid just to study theology and then put it to music. Mm. Right. And that, that's, that's a standard and an expectation that I think the church needs to recapture that music is, it's not always just meant to be the, the domain of the, of the Dylans, you know, the Bob Dylans, the sort of, um, <laughs> the outcast of society who is critiquing in a raw and un, you know, ungoverned way. Of course he actually, he's, he won a Nobel prize in literature. Uh, did but, he? Yes, he did. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's not, it's not the music for the, the, the immature expression of the raw soul. Like that's not just what it's for. And yes, any soul can express himself musically, but the church ought to place a high value on what is the absolute best we can do? What is the best theology that we, that we have at our disposal? Because hymns end up, songs end up having a catechetical effect. Mm. And by that, I mean, uh, they are the words that most readily come to mind yes. throughout mm-hmm. your day. Uh, because of the nature of the way music and rhyme and rhythm and meter and all that stuff work on the human brain. And that's a good thing. And so if you grew up on the Psalter, you had all the Psalms memorized, mm-hmm. right? And if you grew up on whatever, you know, pick your local Christian music radio station that I won't name. So I don't actually specifically dog on any of them. <laughs> uh, like you get the most useless tripe floating through your brain when you actually need solid truth. <laughs> yeah. Things like you couldn't stand heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. Oh my! Oh wait, that that, <laughs> that came up on the list of um, oh, one of my no. Google searches. Uh, yes, yes. Sorry. You know, there's even other songs that are actually there's there's one song in particular. It's written by somebody I, I admire, but the uh, you know it, the conclusion of it is you know when you're on the cross and what you thought of was me above all. Yeah, mm, yep. he thought no. of me above you, Nate. I mean, actually, when that even comes above up, the glory of God, well, above need, everything, there's certain songs. <laughs> There's yeah. certain songs that Nita and I will edit on the fly. That's yeah, one of yeah. them when it comes up. We're like, no, I'm going to change the way we yeah, sing I normally that. sing any thought, above, <laughs> thought of, of me above you. That's kind of how I... <laughs> I mean, it makes me feel really special. So yeah. that's what's important. Totally, totally. Yep. Uh, Which is not to say that all contemporary music is, is trash. And I'm no. thankful for those who have taken it seriously. You know, I think... Uh, I don't know how many of Tomlin's songs will stand the test of time, right? Sure. But I think many of them have been a blessing to the church. Uh, there's people like uh, the Gettys that I know have tried to take mm. it very seriously, the task of being modern day hymn writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think, for example, uh, In Christ Alone will be one of those songs mm-hmm. from the last century that will stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm very thankful. There, There is, I think, a bit of a resurgence of this. And so I don't, I don't want to get into, um, you don't want to hate the hymns because they're old. Right. And then hate everything new because it's new, because that's the other ditch you can fall into. And yeah. I, I am right. thankful for those that are genuinely doing that. And the church just needs to amplify those uh, who are doing so and and call other people up to a higher standard as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, we've got a list of things here, but I, I, we don't have time. I want to make sure we get to but, your... Uh, but we have time well, you for know, we, can, we can transition this way. Yeah. Yeah. This is a person rant. that's writing some songs... Uh, along with Bob Coughlin and a few others, uh, even a song that we sing, I think the Reformation song, oh. uh, like that we sing sometimes. Uh, mm-hmm. Tim Chester. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. Also an author, uh, yes. has written some books, one of which is called Dragons and Dragon Slayers. Dun, dun. I love the name already. Who doesn't you, love yeah. dragons? Do you, you guys know? like dragons? Oh, they're awesome. 
Uh, you know what I've always wanted and I can never own is one of those massive swords with like a dragon all over the hilt that you see in stores. I don't know. Maybe it's just the stores I go to. Yeah. Um, Nita would never allow that in the house. Never. Oh, here it is. Oh, <laughs> no wonder I couldn't see it. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, Chris has just handed me just a wee little dragon. the dragon from the shelf here. That's a cute dragon. Yeah. yeah I don't right. put elves on my shelves. You don't put elves, you put dragons. <laughs> Adorable. Tell us more about this well, book, Dragons uh, yes. and Dragon Slayers by Tim Chester. I'll tell you more. Well, you know, I, I, you guys like dragon stories. I, I think <laughs> most people uh, are into dragons for sure. If you're into any kind of, you know, fantasy writing or medieval lore, you're going to be into dragons. And I think for something, there's for some reason, there's something about dragons that captivate us. But really, around the world, wherever you go, there are legends, there are tales of of dragons, and uh, and uh, it's pretty. Pretty interesting. When I was in Krakow, well, in Poland with the Go team, almost two years ago now, it's hard to believe. It's a lost year in between, but uh, but we visited the uh, the Vavo Castle in uh, in Krakow, which oh. is the big kind of big castle. And uh, there, at the uh, at the foot of the hill that the castle is on, there's a cave, a big uh, limestone cave known as the Dragon's Den. Oh, that's what it's. Uh, I mean, it's got a Polish name. Not it's not called yeah. Dragons Den. Every but, other uh, castle became instantly jealous. Well, I they mean, did. come on, that every, is too cool. Every castle needs a dragon. And there's den. a legend of a and there's a big dragon outside of it that spews fire. It's a big metal thing cool. um, that spews fire like every 15 minutes or whatever it is. And so, kind of a cool, a cool little attraction there. But uh, but there's this legend. There's well, there's a couple of legends, and it's hard to know which ones. Accurate, since they're both dealing with something that's probably not a reality anyway. <laughs> um, uh, one, that two of the king's sons were, you know, fought this dragon. And the one, when they were done, uh, they, uh, because whoever was, you know, whoever had killed this dragon was, was hopefully going to be named the next king. Um, so the one brother kills the other one because he comes to the question of, well, who's who gets the credit for the kill? And so the one brother kills the other one. And, uh, and then he... Um, gets named that, and actually Krakow is supposedly named after him or something like that. Mm. But anyway, uh, the oh. other one is that a shoemaker, nice. a shoemaker, shoemaker was commissioned. Finally, he said he would go and take on this dragon, and he wrapped a uh, a some sort of an animal skin. Uh, he put stuffed it full of sulfur and fed it to the the dragon. And the dragon ate it and got so thirsty that it drank from the river because it's right on the river there as well, oh. and uh, and and drank himself to death. <laughs> It's like that rat poison they use now. Yeah, isn't that what it does, basically? Yeah. Sounds a little bit like Bell and the Dragon from the Apocrypha, too. Yeah. Yeah, there's probably some mix <laughs> of, of, a, of a lot a lot of stories. Um, anyway, that's where that little dragon that Chris has came from. I, it was a trinket purchased at uh, Vavo Castle. I was in, wondering uh, in about Krakow. the insignia on here at Krakow, so thank you for answering that question. Yes. That was interesting. And the stone... Probably has nothing to do with Krakow that it's mounted on. That the big piece, the ginormous piece with a tiny little dragon. It says made in India on the bottom. No. Probably China. So <laughs> I might have scratched the sticker off. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, that's, you know, what is it about uh, stories of dragons and dragon slayers that so captures our imagination, uh, catches our attention? Uh, that's basically what Tim Chester strives to answer in his book, Dragons and Dragon Slayers. By Tim Chester. <laughs> Never mind um, me banging into the equipment here. by someone else. It's, it's a short book, uh, 88 pages, 12 chapters. Um, they're mainly retelling 
um, and kind of a re retelling of some of the more well-known, famous dragon legends from around the world, um, whether it's from... Do they have St. George? St. George is there, yes. St. Yes. George is in there. Um, and others. Um, I'm not going to go into all of them. There's there's too much to tell, and I wouldn't want to take away from the, the cool stories. Um, there's one from Japan. Your wife could probably tell us if it's true or not. Um, it is interesting that every culture has dragons in its lore. It does make you wonder if at some point, now extinct, uh, there was some some actual creature that, that mm. inspired these stories. Could be. Almost certainly something. Um, yeah. I mean, Job, we see some references even biblically to creatures that we know are extinct now, mm -hmm. um, dangerous creatures. Mm -hmm. They're... Uh, yeah, they were, I mean, they were quite believed in uh, as real, especially in, in more ancient times. Uh, but uh, uh, even old maps, they, you can find old maps where there are places where they don't, uh, he addresses that a little bit in the book, where they don't. Uh, here there be dragons. Yes, here there be dragons. <laughs> and so he's got a chapter, chapter 10 is called There Be Dragons. And uh, and he talks about that. But really, he does a good job of uh, of then bringing it down. He kind of asks the question in, in chapter 10, um, how did a mythical beast becomes so common. How did these legends become universal? Why do we love dragon stories? Chester asks. And then after giving a few possibilities, he writes, maybe there is a deeper, bigger reason why we love dragon stories. Mm -hmm. It may be that dragons are everywhere because every dragon story is an echo of one of the first stories ever told. It's a story that explains not just what it means to be Welsh or English or Chinese, but what it means to be human. It's the story of the origins of all humanity. It's the story told in the opening chapters of the Bible. And he goes on to talk a little bit about Adam and Eve and the serpent and the promise. And he talks a little bit about Christmas. And then uh, in, uh, in chapter 11, uh, entitled Jesus, the Dragon Slayer, he writes this and he's, you know, he's summing up and you got to realize this is written, you know, so that, you know, your kids can read it too. It's a small little book. It's not just a, it's kind of for everyone, but it's not intended to be academic or, or super, super, super theologically deep, but, but true. This is good. This is and good. And he says, uh, the big story of the Bible is this, a man fights a dragon, rescues the girl and wins his bride. <laughs> and that really is kind of what, what happens at all. The girl is his bride. The girl is his bride. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, wins his bride, which it's is not, the girl. It's not two different people. No. Yes. Um, and then uh, in, in chapter 12, he talks about what is it like for us to, to be involved in fighting the dragon. And he says this, he says, you and I can't be dragon slayers. Only Jesus is the dragon slayer. But we can fight the dragon if we have the courage, he goes on to talk about um, kind of using Revelation 12, 10 through 11. He says yeah. um, that we can fight the dragon. He says, first, we overcome the dragon by the blood of the lamb. Talks about what that means. Basically, we have to do it through, through faith in Christ. <laughs> so that's how we can be involved in that. And then second, we overcome the dragon by the word of our testimony and, and how we, how we kind of win that. The ground war, if you will, is is by, you know, in the trenches is by sharing the gospel, you know, not being ashamed and, and proclaiming the truth until Christ returns. And so we are to do that. And he ends the book with this charge. You may, you may not wear a coat of armor, 
I know Ephesians says we do, but anyway. Um, you may not wear a coat of armor <laughs> or carry a sword, but you can fight the dragon by trusting in Jesus and telling people about him. But you will have to be brave. Yes, indeed. You know, speaking of the power of music, a song came to mind when you were talking mm. about um, Revelations chapter 12. Mm. Uh, Is it Trogdor? We shall overcome no. of the land power of the lamb and the word of our testimony, testimony yeah song. it'd get power of music right we you're, you're just reading overcome, yeah yeah uh word of our testimony yeah i no, didn't we're gonna have for to there to be a solo time yeah we might have to look up all the lyrics to that song just to make sure I'm that's exactly sure. <laughs> right need to run that through the the filter you, you know that's interesting too uh i wasn't sure where you know in your notes where we would end up but revelation immediately comes mm. to mind i mean um the the our enemy Mm-hmm. Uh, the enemy of of our Lord Satan himself is dis, is is pictured as a dragon. Yeah, um, and um, you know, amongst other uh, dangerous, uh, devouring animals. But uh, that's kind of cool that mm-hmm. he, that he ended up there as well. So I'm looking forward to reading that. Thank you, yeah. thank yeah. you for bringing that up. I might borrow. I see it in your hands there. I might have to borrow it from. Borrow whatever you want. As long as you give back. I'll read it on the drive home. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute. You ever run into people who good. read while they drive? Those are scary folks. Yeah, uh, that's not recommended. <laughs> yes, I have Don't s- do I've that. seen that. <laughs> I love read, audio read, books. But not, uh, not while you're driving. Yes. I gotta say, the, the Hobbit movies, which were much too long, mm. uh, with all respect to a brilliant director and a brilliant story and brilliant trilogy, but I, I, I'm going to say <laughs> The Dragon was awesome. I don't know how many millions of dollars they paid (laughs) to develop that animation, but it was incredible. And Cumberbatch did great. Um, One of my favorite characters in all the (laughs) films. Yeah, it was good. It was very good. Yes. All right. Yep. Well, guys, this was a lot of fun. As always, thanks for the uh, the book review, book recommendation, uh, Caleb. And uh, for you, our listeners, that's all we've got for this episode. I want to thank you for hanging out with us, chatting about God's Word and some other things as well today. Uh, we always save you a seat right here on the porch, so don't forget to tune in and join us on our next episode. To subscribe to our podcast, look up Bombadil's Porch on your podcasting software of choice or visit bombadillsporch.com where you can also leave us a voicemail with comments, questions, or insults. We love to hear anything from our listeners and we can also be reached at bombadillsporch at gmail.com. From myself, Caleb and Chris, the almighty God, the ancient of days has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He made you with purpose and for his glory. Be encouraged. Don't despair. Never quit. Never give up. Do not fear because you are never alone. You are safely in the Father's hands. Mm